Think about work that enthralls you almost is like a very engaging video game. It has the same elements built right into it. Even if you don't play video games for a living, you can still learn from some of the things that, that really truly cause people to be enthralled. This is the Happen to Your Career podcast with Scott Anthony Barlow. We help you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and make it happen. We help you define the work that's unapologetically you, and then go get it. If you're ready to make a change, keep listening. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. What if you could learn exactly what a challenging, meaningful, fulfilling career looks like for you? What if it was actually based on scientific research? What if you could become well-paid for doing meaningful work at a company that you're enamored with? Those are the questions that we want to explore in today's episode. If this sounds way good, too good to be true, well, <laughs> good news for you. This is exactly what we've been doing for people and helping them with, people just like you, since 2012. So even if you're finding that you're short on time, even if you've been struggling to figure out this answer for months or years, I think that it's great that you're continuing to move down this road. It's great that you're continuing to look for the answer. And we're doing something that we haven't ever done before. We're actually taking a piece that we teach inside Career Change Bootcamp. This, this piece that we take inside Career Change Bootcamp, and we're airing it here on, on the episode. So we're right in the middle of enrollment for Career Change Bootcamp right now. And and we wanted to share part of this with you. And we think that it'll help you think differently about what meaningful work is, what it looks like, what it can look like for you in the future. So that's exactly what we're going to do in today's episode. By the way, most of the time, people are changing careers to run from something that they don't like, but they don't really know what they're running to. And if if that has been the case for you, it's certainly been the case for me in, in the past. And what I've learned in working with many people over the years is that it's much, much more difficult to figure out what really creates a great situation for you, what you actually want, what happiness and thriving within your life and career actually looks like. So I'll be sharing how career happiness really works so that you can begin to understand how you can move forward and get some of these answers for yourself. All right, here we go. We're going to cover several major areas today to help you understand career happiness, including the misconceptions about career happiness as a goal and taking the guesswork out of this. What does the research say about career happiness and how can you use that so that you know what those happy people out there are doing differently? And then even how to apply this into your, your career change and knowing what to look for and how to think about these things differently. This is going to be a ton of fun. I love this particular topic as you're probably going to learn. I didn't always love it, though. In 2005, I made a job change, and I made that job change because I wanted to find something that was going to make me happy. 
And honestly, I thought that when I got there, I would be happy. It turns out I was thinking about job change, careers, how all this stuff worked. I got to a good job. It lined up with a lot of the things I wanted, but I still wasn't happy. It turns out I really was thinking about it all wrong. Now, one of my favorite quotes that helps you understand more what to look for and why my job change didn't work out is learn that happiness does not come from a job. It comes from knowing what you truly value and behaving in a way that's consistent with those beliefs. Now, this quote comes from none other than Dirty Jobs and host Mike Rowe. I don't know. I have no idea if Mike Rowe knew at the time that this really is what a lot of the research says, but we found it to be true as we've worked with many people and as we have really dug into the psychology of what makes people happy too, and particularly how it relates to your career. So we're going to break this down and help you understand what is a different way to approach this that really does result in more happiness. Because neither your career or career happiness is a singular event or a destination. The destination is not what makes you happy, as it turns out. Also, it turns out that happiness is a terrible goal. (laughs) It really is. Now, there's a variety of reasons why having happiness as a goal as itself is not particularly useful, but let's give you a couple examples. It turns out that when you are feeling particularly happy, that can come from a variety of different areas. Regardless of whether you have just done something, gone and, and witnessed an event with your kids and are particularly proud of them and that's making you happy, or whether you are eating your favorite candy bar. You get a lot of the same psychological high during that time and a lot of the same things that allow you to feel that happiness and you know, even same thing if I if I go and I have a glass of wine, I often feel much happier shortly afterward. But that doesn't mean that the goal should be to eat more Snickers and drink Bordeaux by the hour. Not at all. A better goal is creating a situation that allows you to flourish or thrive, or rather, feel more happier more often. But also that type of happiness that's more associated with fulfillment. Okay, so what allows you to flourish? Well, there's two different ways. And one of them is inward happiness, or rather your happiness ability. Think about this one as your happiness muscle. It is when you practice happiness or the things that allow you to feel happier more often, almost like strength training for your brain. And there's a variety of different ways to do this. One example is every night at dinner, my family and I will say three things that we're thankful for, and we'll be able to talk about those. And being able to search for those actually allows us to practice that. Another example of this is scientists have found that monks who regularly meditate, well, they've been able to expand the parts of their brain that allow them to feel more happiness and ultimately are responsible for that feeling of happiness. Okay, so there's also outward. This is the second way that allows you to to flourish. And Outward is what we call external happiness enablers. These are the things that allow you to set up the chess pieces on the board so that your environment, the people that you're surrounded by, and all the things that that are around in the situation that you're in are making you feel or enabling you to feel rather more happiness more often in the ways that are more fulfilling, ultimately allowing you to flourish. Okay, so we're going to focus primarily on happiness enablers and those things that you can do so that it helps sustain that level of flourishing. 
Okay, what does the research say about career happiness? Well, after reading many, many books and studies and articles and digging into the research for the last 10 years, I believe that there are six major areas that impact career happiness. And when they're put together, they allow you to flourish more consistently. If you have absence of any one of these six, it can make your career feel much less fulfilling or ultimately cause you dissatisfaction, especially over time. Okay, let's talk about these six. Number one is work that enthralls you. Number two, supportive relationships with coworkers and particularly your boss or your leader. Number three is detract or free work. Number four, work that helps others. Number five, doing work that uses your strength. Number six, doing work that aligns with your values and what you value the most. All right, let's talk about that. Number one is work that enthralls you. If, if you're an industrial psychologist, you might refer to this as engaging work, which is very much a buzzword right now. And even HR professionals use this all the time to talk about engaging work, engaging work. What is engaging work? Well, there's a lot of things that they might be referring to, but we found the most that relate to career happiness are the ones that we're going to focus on here. Now, if you've read Dan Pink's book, Drive, he calls this the combination of autonomy, mastery, and purpose. But for our purposes, we need to break this down a bit differently. That way we can actually use it and do something with it. So think about work that enthralls you almost is like a very engaging video game. It has the same elements built right into it. Even if you don't play video games for a living, you can still learn from some of the things that that really truly cause people to be enthralled. Okay, what are some of these? Well, as it turns out, things like having variety, applied learning, and ultimately experiencing growth and seeing that, that variety and change. And then clarity and expectations. And then particularly getting feedback, you know, much the way that uh, you always know the score when you're going through and you're playing a video game and you always have that instant feedback many times or some type of feedback to know whether or not you're, you're heading the right direction and it's validating, well, that is important as well. And certainly autonomy is incredibly important. We'll talk about all of the reasons why. First, let's dig into this variety and applied learning and growth here. Work that allows you to experience variety is absolutely what all of us need as human beings, and certainly to different levels particularly variety that allows you to learn or experience growth. Variety is, we find that variety is much more enjoyable when it's the first time or when it's spread out, <laughs> not, when it, uh, not when it is continuous or happening again, because that, you know, that same variety can turn into monotony, as it turns out. We also find that learning without application can be enjoyable, but for most people, it's not meaningful. And for it to be meaningful, there has to be some kind of application there. Now, this application part, we've, we have learned, actually looks a little bit different for everybody. For some people, that might be really digging into, into the problem and doing the research and learning about a particular problem, and then taking that problem all the way to solution and actually seeing it in action and seeing it tangibly applied. And for other people, it might just be the consultative elements of discovering what the solution can be and how that works and then making a recommendation. It does look a little bit different for everybody. So later on in module three, we're really going to have to have you dig into what is what type of learning, what type of growth, and what type of variety makes sense for you. Okay, clarity and expectations is important for a variety of reasons. First of all, <laughs> nobody wants to nobody wants to have a situation where 
you don't understand the rules of play. And much like a video game, it's going to get really frustrating if the rules are changing all the time and the expectations are continually changing all the time. It doesn't make it very fun. It causes you to feel perpetually frustrated. And ultimately, it's not very motivating, right? So if you don't have any expectations, on the flip side, where there's just not a lot that's expected of you in your role, it also becomes difficult to see how you're contributing in a meaningful way. And ultimately, that's a place where many people can get bored if there are zero expectations. Feedback. Making sure that you're getting continuous sources of a feedback on how you're doing. Now, this does not always look like what people think it, it could be. What often pops into our heads is our boss sitting us down and and telling us, hey, you did a great job on this area. And you know what? You need to improve this area over here. That doesn't always have to be the type of feedback that we're talking about here. In fact, we encourage people to think about feedback in other ways too. Feedback for learning and improvement really is not the only type. You must get feedback in ways that are meaningful for you. So here's here's an example. I I learned, uh, and it's probably been about you know eight eight, 10 years ago or so, I learned that one of the most meaningful types of feedback for me that really was validating and motivating was anytime somebody would tell me that they're sharing something with me that they haven't shared with anybody else. Now, there's a variety of different ways that I found that that could happen. And I'd been experiencing that since I was a kid. But in professional roles, you know, sometimes that would work in, in HR, where people would come to me and tell me about a problem that they were uncomfortable sharing with anybody else. Or, you know, later on, as I started progressing in leadership, my boss would, would look to me as the right-hand person to where they could confide in and be able to, to share things that they couldn't share with anybody else. Either way, that was particularly validating for me, and it also gave me the type of feedback that I needed personally. Now, not everybody needs the same type of feedback. In fact, we discovered that different types of different types of feedback are going to be more or less meaningful for you. You need to dig into the ones later on. And again, we'll get to this in, in module three. But when you get there, you're going to be looking for the different types of feedback that make you feel validated or valued as a person. And those are important. And we'll also dig into some of the some of the psychological pieces that causes us not to not to want to broach those areas too. Next up, autonomy. Autonomy is a really interesting one. In particular, when we say autonomy, we're talking about you getting to have a say or you getting to have decision-making power in how the work gets done. Now, this can show up in a variety of different ways. This can mean that I want to not just not just be able to do the work, but I am most comfortable and most excited and feel most at ease when I get to be in a room with all white walls and everything surrounded me by white and wearing a white sweater over the back. Now, that's, that's a little bit extreme, but point being, we are all need autonomy as human beings. We really do. And that is going to look a little bit different in terms of what we value the most. For some people, that's flexibility and working remotely. Uh, in some cases, it's decision-making authority, where and how you work. But whatever it is for you, that's that's what we're talking about. Now, a really interesting subcomponent of this, I personally believe that this is one of the biggest reasons and one of the biggest things that's lacking in so many different organizations today is having this decision-making power or decision-making ability in where or how the work gets done and causing many, many more people to want to be their own boss or do their own thing or pursue their own thing. Now, 
When we dig into that for people, we determine it's not always about being their own boss. It usually, in many cases, is them lacking that decision-making authority. Not in all cases, but in a number of cases. So that's one other thing to be able to look into for yourself, too. And another way to look at it as we go along, too. Okay, supportive relationships with boss and coworkers. Now... When we're talking about decision-making authority, when we're talking about variety, when we're talking about all the other things in the first first key here, it's pretty easy to see that your boss and your coworkers drastically impact the elements of enthralling work, right? Later on in your ideal career profile, you'll get to define what the supportive relationships actually look like for you with your boss and coworkers and what you're looking for the very most. Because again, if you don't know what you're looking for, it's going to be difficult to be able to track that down or really understand as you meet your boss and as you meet your coworkers, if it's going to be the right type of relationship for you. So we'll help you with that as we get into later modules. Detractor-free work. Think about this as areas that are significant enough to cancel out the positive benefits of other elements of your work. So those negatives that are strong enough to cancel out the positives. Now, these can be a very long commute. And statistically, this is a commute that is around or longer than 60 minutes, but this varies for different people is what we found. For example, I found that if I was much over 30 minutes, then it was way too long for me and it was significantly detracting. That's going to vary for you too. So we'll need to define what that is later on as well. Compensation that you don't feel is fair or that doesn't meet your lowest needs. There's two ways that this can work. One is if you enter into a role and you accept it, and you don't feel that the compensation is fair, well, that's going to sit there almost like a grudge and cause you to feel unhappy and outweigh many of the other positive benefits and positive elements of the job. Or vice versa, if you accept a job that really just truly doesn't meet some of your lowest basic needs in terms of your finances, and you're not able to pay your bills or you're not able to pay for some of the things that uh, would be considered basic needs, that's going to cause a tremendous amount of stress in your life and not going to be a good situation either. Okay, another example of detractors are regular long hours that conflict with your non-work time. Now, long hours vary drastically. For some people, that's more than eight hours a day. For some people, that might be more than six hours a day. For me in particular, I've found that if I'm working more than 10 hours a day consistently, that's, that's not a good situation for me. But again, this is going to vary for you. And as we get into testing later on too, that's one of the elements that we'll want to think about and try and prove in or prove out what is going to be a great situation for you, especially over time. And remember, when we're talking about it in terms of detractors, we're specifically talking about regular reoccurring long hours again and again and again that conflict with things that you want to do, need to do, feel you must have in your non-work time. Now, constant job insecurity, that fear of not having a job or not knowing what's next, that can outweigh many other positive benefits too. You might have all of the other six keys and not know if you have a job tomorrow or the next day or the month or whatever after that, and that's going to significantly outweigh in terms of anxiety and stress. Now, different people certainly have different tolerances around this, 
and we're going to have you measure the tolerance for you. Number four, helping others. This is possibly one of the most common things that I get emailed about or when I'm in conversations. This is one of the biggest revelations or realizations for people where they say, hey, I know that I want to be helping others. Well, it turns out that every single one of us needs to be helping others. In fact, it's a level deeper than that. You must not only be helping others, but more importantly than that, you must directly connect how you're helping others with what it is that you're doing. If that element is not there, then it probably doesn't matter as much that you're helping other people, or it's not going to feel as fulfilling. Now, this helping others piece, when you really get down to it, this is the this is the element that adds in the fulfillment or meaning in the highest possible ways out of any one of these other keys that we're going to talk about here. The others influence this fulfillment and meaning, but this is the biggest one that directly connects to it. Okay, you're going to have to determine what way or ways are right for you. And we've learned that this can be at different levels too. This might be, for example, it might be states or nations. It also might be one-on-one or groups. And again, you're going to have to determine what is right for you or even what variety is right for you. And again, we'll help you with all of that as we get into modules two and three here. Our primary goal here is helping you understand the basics of the information so that you can later apply it as we get a little bit deeper. Even considering what scope gives you the most fulfillment is another way to think about this too. We've learned that there are just so many different ways that, that you can be helping others. You can be directly helping others win that one-on-one type format. You could be coaching. You could be teaching. You could be administering. There's a billion different things out there that you could be doing in terms of helping others. We'll need to pare it down to the ways that are most fulfilling for your particular situation. Because if you stop and think about it, every single job in the world is helping others in some way. But that certainly doesn't mean all of those roles are right for you. Okay, number five, work that leverages your strengths. As you have probably already seen, we'll get deep into this in module two and really talk about your your signature strengths. A couple of the points that are worth talking about right now, though, this is not to be confused with work that comes easy to you. Working in your strengths, you can be working on something that's incredibly challenging, but also feels much more in alignment or feels like you're working with the grain rather than against the grain. So work that uses your strengths means not just your skills and not just your experiences, but also bringing in elements like your personality in that combination of nature and nurture. That's what we're talking about when we say work that uses your strengths. Another confusion piece with this is many people feel like, hey, well, I'm great in this particular area. I'm great with pivot tables and I'm great with being able to project manage, but I really, quite frankly, don't enjoy Enjoy it. That's not where we're going to focus our time. So don't worry about that. Instead, we're going to focus on those areas that are the intersection of what you're great at or have the potential to be great at, and also what you enjoy so that you can spend more of your time working in those areas. Again, we will deep dive into into module two with signature strengths and flesh the majority of that out there. But let's talk about key number six. Key number six is allowing you to behave consistently with what you value most. Remember that quote from Mike Rowe at the beginning? Well, key number six is work that allows you to live out your values. Work that provides you with the things that you value the most. One thing that's really important that a lot of people don't realize is that your values can change over the time. They do. They do. They change from when you're a kid. They change over many different periods of your life. And that's actually okay. In fact, 
I would say that it's encouraged. <laughs> and you you develop and change as a human being, why wouldn't your values change along with it? And that's that's okay. This isn't just in your job. We're also focused on what you value outside your work too, because we all know that your career can significantly impact the rest of your life too. If this is not aligned, if you don't have work that fits your values, it's going to not feel right. Something's not going to sit right. Many people don't even recognize what that feeling is, but it doesn't feel right. And there very often is a key that it is not aligned with what you value the most. What do people that are flourishing in their careers do differently to get there? This is possibly one of the most important things because although I want you to understand what the research says, it's more important to understand what to actually do with that information. If it's not applicable, if it's not able to be applied, then we're not going to be able to, to get there. This group that we're talking about in particularly, I want to call them happy high achievers as we go along. What are those people that are compensated well, doing work that is meaningful to them and allowing themselves to be in an environment that is causing them to flourish. What are those happy high achievers doing differently to be able to get to that work, get to that in their career? Okay, well, thing number one is they're in the driver's seat when it comes to choosing a company or opportunity. Many of us, as we get into career search, all of a sudden switch to a mode where we feel like we're at the mercy of different companies. And that's not how it works here. Not at all. In fact, Nobody else is going to look out for you the same as you, as it turns out. So why wouldn't you be in the driver's seat when you're choosing a company or opportunity versus having them choose you? We also see that less than 20% of the time is the first contact by application. And what that means is when we see those people get roles that really line up with their values, that allow them to flourish, when we see happy high achievers accept a role that is right for them, very rarely does that come from them first applying on a job board someplace or on a company website and that being their first contact? Now, it does happen some of the time, but since we know it's the majority of the time that happens other ways, we're going to focus most of our activities on those other ways as we get into these later modules. Okay, we also see that they very clearly know what they want, not because they figured it out on the first try. Instead, usually what happens here is <laughs> they create that hypothesis that we talked about earlier, and then they go out and, and test it. They have more learnings from that, and then they go out and do more to test it. And then they have more learnings from that. And as they continue to take action on it, that's where they refine their understanding of what it is that they want in their careers. And that's ultimately what allows them to be able to clearly understand what it is that they want. So that is very different than what most people are thinking about in, in their careers. Many of us think that, hey, I'm going to go into a room, I'm going to do all this reflection, I'm going to come out, and then I'm going to understand. It's all going to be Zen. It's going to be fantastic. And that's not at all the way it works, especially for these happy high achievers. So those mindsets that we talked about in the previous lesson, those are going to come into play right here. All right. What now? Well, all of this study and research is the foundation for how we look at career and life, and we want you to be able to look at it holistically. We want you to not just separate it out because one drastically impacts the other, and we can't ignore that. I don't want you to worry. This is the first look at this because I want some of it to soak in so that you have an understanding of how it works. We will get to apply it later on as we get into module two and three. In the next video, you're going to understand how to be able to leverage 
what we call the ideal career profile and how happy high achievers begin putting together the puzzle that is work that allows them to flourish and be more happy more often. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that immensely. Through our Career Change Bootcamp Frameworks, we've helped hundreds of people learn exactly what they wanted out of both work and life. Then we coached them on how to make it happen for themselves. So maybe you've been clicking through Indeed.com, or maybe you've been on LinkedIn or Glassdoor during your lunch break, hoping that you'll finally find the next perfect job. Only instead, you end up finding roles that either don't excite you, and you're like, oh my goodness, like all these sound terrible, or... You find one that finally works, finally sounds great, and then they want this incredibly long list of absurd qualifications that you just don't have. And then on top of it, they want 972 years of experience. No good. Either way, it's depressing at best and not very useful for your time. Even though it hasn't got you any closer to figuring out what's truly right for you, you may continue to search because. Even though you don't, even though you know that your your current situation isn't a fit, you may not know where else to begin. I'd like to help you begin. And that's part of the reason why we do this podcast week after week after week for now, almost seven years. And it's also part of the reason why we work so incredibly hard day after day to help folks just like you determine what really is right, what your career path can be, and what you want your life to look like. Because until you know that, it's really difficult to be able to make that happen. If you want to find out how we can help, because this is what we do, it's what we love to do, then just do this really, really simple step. Drop me an email, scott@happenedyourcareer.com, And let me know that you want to have a conversation with our team. Just put, put conversation in the subject line. And I'll get you introduced to our team and we'll figure out the very best way that we can help. Whether it's career change bootcamp, whether it is custom coaching, whether it is simply pointing you in the direction of a few resources that are going to be immensely helpful to you and sending you on your way, whatever it is, we'll get you aligned with the right help so that you can get moving down this path. Hey, by the way, speaking of help, we have so much more coming for you next week on the Happen to Your Career podcast. I feel for them because I think when, when it doesn't work out or they feel what Emily describes as that sense of kind of boredom with something that was a passion, I feel that they have personalized their career so much that it, it often the failure hits harder. That's Melanie Buford. Uh, by the way, she is a bit of an expert when it comes to multi-potentialites and patterns in personality tests like Clifton Strength Finder 2.0 and MBTI. And I think that you're going to absolutely love this podcast <laughs> because we get deep into what are those patterns? What are those strengths that multi-potentialites have? All that and more coming up next. By the way, be sure to share this podcast with somebody you know that could benefit from it. And I will talk to you next week. Until then, adios. I am out.